So Matthew chapter 15, we pick up our study today in verse 29. And we'll read to the end of the chapter. And Matthew says, verse 29, Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on a mountain and sat down. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed, made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few little fish. So he, Jesus, commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And he sent away the multitude, got into a boat, and came to the region of Magdala. So again, if, if you're visiting here with us this morning, you know, our prayer is that you would feel welcomed. You wouldn't be struck by a cane flying to the ground. I like being informal. You know, it's just, it's who I am. Anyway, we, we, we pray that you would be, uh, just feel welcomed here as we worship the Lord, as we study his word. You know, I pray that the Lord would speak to all of us this morning. You know, it, it's my prayer that each of us, when we leave this place this morning, we would leave different people than those that came because we spent time in God's word, that we would have a greater understanding of, of, of God's great love and compassion that he has towards each one of us. And you know, it's my prayer that these verses that we're going to look at this morning, uh, that they would sink deep into our heart and that they would take root and they would bear fruit and they would warm our spirits as God has intended them to. You know, um, we start the story in verse 29, and it says, Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down. Now, the events that just precede this story, Jesus, uh, he's coming out of the north, out of Tyre and Sidon, where he had just uh, delivered a demon-possessed uh, little girl. He healed her. And we studied that encounter last week, you know, that the mother had with Jesus. And we took a close look at the type of faith that Jesus took notice of and also commended in this woman. And one of the big takeaways last week from the study is we need to come to Jesus. That's the first thing. We can't allow anything to stand in our way to keep us from coming to Jesus because it's in Jesus alone that we find healing and meaning for life. 
Now, Jesus is traveling south back towards Israel. And Mark chapter 7, verse 31 tells us that Jesus came through the midst of the region of Decapolis um, to the Sea of Galilee. So the region of Decapolis, it's on the southeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And Tyre and Sidon, you'll recall, that's totally Gentile country. Decapolis is still primarily, predominantly Gentile territory. Well, as Jesus re-enters this Galilee area, you know the word that he's coming to that area as as it does, the word just spreads very, very quickly. And we read in verse 30, then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And you know, I always point this out. Matthew tells us again, it's not just multitudes of people that are coming to Jesus. I mean, there's so many people that the only way he can describe this crowd, the, the size of this crowd, is he says great multitudes, great multitudes that come to him. These people hear that Jesus is in, this, in their area and they just flock to him. And, you know, this is where you just need to, you know, maybe close your eyes and just imagine for a minute, right? You have a son or a daughter. You have a mom or a dad. You have an aunt or uncle. You know, you have a friend or neighbor and they have leprosy. They're blind, they're deaf. You know, uh, they're, they, they have a leg that's lame. They have an arm that's paralyzed or maybe even worse yet, they're completely paralyzed. You know, maybe this loved one is suffering with, you know, a chronic illness that, you know, they just can't seem to shake and it keeps them bedridden. And then you hear that Jesus is in the area. You know what? What I would do, I would take that loved one just like these people did and I would run to Jesus. Because again, Jesus has the answer. You know? And I just need you to imagine now just this massive wave of humanity, of people with tremendous need now just coming towards Jesus and the disciples. And it says, then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus's feet and he healed them. I mean, what a wonderful picture this is of people bringing others to Jesus. You know, they brought their friends and their family members. They brought loved ones. They brought everyone they knew that had a need to Jesus. And they laid them down at his feet. Uh, we read just one right after another. And we read, he healed them. He healed them all. And the language, you know, the language would, you know, lead us to believe that as fast as they were bringing people to Jesus laying them down at his feet as fast as they could get the people to Jesus. He was reaching out, touching them and healing them. The power that's being demonstrated here by Jesus. I mean, it's unimaginable to us, but you know what? That's our Lord. That's our savior. He is limitless in his power and nothing is too hard for him. 
We always need to remember this. Now, again, you want to keep in mind that these people are predominantly Gentiles. You know, after Alexander the Great finished his campaign, he encouraged many of his soldiers who were retiring to actually settle in this area of Decapolis. Because of this, this area has a very strong, very robust Greek and Roman population and culture. There were a lot of Jews that lived in this area. It is true, but basically, this is Gentile territory. And I think it's just another demonstration to us. And I think it's worth us considering this, spending time and just thinking through this. It's just another demonstration of how great Jesus's love is for people. He loves people. He is uh, willing to give more than just a crumb, like we learned last week, uh, to the Gentiles. He's willing to give himself, you know, so that they might be made whole. And I think it's important to understand that Jesus has been in this area before. Uh, you might recall Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, we're told that he went to the area of the Gadarenes. Remember, uh, Gadara is one of the 10 cities of Decapolis. And by the way, that's what Decapolis means. It means 10 cities, right? But you remember the story how Jesus went to Gadara to cast out a demon from a man who lived among the tombs. And you'll remember that Jesus set that man free. And afterwards, he begs Jesus that he might be allowed to go with him from that place. He wanted to get into the boat and go with Jesus, but Jesus said no. And I don't know about you, but you know, I find that quite interesting, really. I mean, you think about it. In that story, there were three prayers that were offered to Jesus. The first one was the prayer of the demons, right? They said, hey, don't cast us into the abyss before our time. Let us go into those pigs that were uh, just right there, right? And Jesus answered and said with a single word, he said, go. You know what? And they went. The second prayer were the people that came Later, after the, everything was done, they, they came and they saw the demon possessed sitting in his right mind, clothed at the feet of Jesus. And you know what? They begged Jesus to leave their region. You know, Jesus wasn't very good for the pig farming industry. And so they, they beg him to leave. And Jesus answers their prayer and he leaves their region, right? The third prayer, the only prayer that makes any sense to me is, is this man where he's begging Jesus. He's saying, you know, please allow me to go with you. And Jesus said, no. Jesus said, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. I mean, this guy, this guy probably wasn't much different than you or I, uh, you know, when, when we first met Jesus. Remember what it was like when you first got saved? Can you think back that far? Remember what that was like? Remember when, Je you know, when Jesus delivered you from whatever you were in bondage to? Right? What do we do? What do we do when the Lord does something so remarkable in our lives? Maybe it happens at a, at a men's or a woman's retreat. You know, maybe at a Bible study. Maybe in our quiet time where we get alone with the Lord, it's just us and him. 
You know, but what do we do when he touches our heart in such a way? You know, he blows our minds. He sets our, our hearts on fire for him. You know, we say like this, man, Jesus, you know, I, I just want to go with you. You know, I, I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. You know, I want to be a disciple. Lord, I'm, I'm even willing to be a missionary. Send me, right? But Jesus tells us, no. Go and tell your friends and your family what the Lord's done for you. You know, when I first got saved, I told everyone, you know, what the Lord had done for me. I mean, how he had set me free. You know, it was the only topic of conversation I had with people. So much so that I gained this nickname, Bible. That's what people call me. Oh, here comes Bible. You know, because everyone I knew heard what Jesus had done for me and what the Bible had to say. It was the only, uh, you know, topic of conversation for me. And I imagine this guy is just like that, right? I think as Jesus comes into this predominantly Gentile area of Decapolis, great multitudes of people flock to him because of a single evangelist who told everyone that he knew, everyone he saw, everyone he met, what Jesus had done for him. And as a result of this one man's testimony, people are running to Jesus now. And again, the language would lead us to believe that as fast as they can get to Jesus, he's reaching out and healing them. Guys, let me tell you, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Jesus is still willing and wanting to heal people as fast as we can bring them to him. The question is, are we willing to take steps of faith? Are we willing to tell people about Jesus, what it is that he's done for each one of us? Are we willing to share our testimony? Tell a stranger, hey, do you know Jesus loves you? You know, are we willing to invite people to church? I mean, this is, this is a promise that I've made to the Lord. And this is a promise that I'll, I make to this church, to you guys. You know what? If you bring people to church, if you'll invite people to church, I'll tell them about the cross. I'll tell them about the blood of Jesus, that the blood of Jesus is the only thing that can cleanse us from our sins. I'll tell them that placing their faith in Jesus and repenting of their sins, turning from that lifestyle, turning back to God is the only way of salvation. You know what? I'm not shy about it. I'm not ashamed of it at all. Jesus is willing and wanting to heal, right? Desiring to save everyone we will bring to him as fast as we can bring them to Jesus. You know, he's saved us in order that we would share his love and the message of the cross with everyone we know, with everyone we come across, that they might be saved. That's the reason he saved us, that we can share with others. In verse 31, Matthew continues, so the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the, the maimed made whole, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now, the Greek word here used for marveled, it also means wondered, right? They wondered at what they were seeing because it was so amazing, 
right? We get a hint at what they were wondering at. We get a hint in the language at what they were marveling at, what the multitude saw. Beyond seeing the mute speaking, you know, not just grunting anymore, beyond seeing those who were lame walking again, beyond seeing, witnessing people receiving their sight again, which they haven't seen for years, right? All of which would be amazing in and of itself. I mean, that would just be tremendous to see anyway. But we get a hint of an even more amazing act of power of Jesus, right? That he displayed to the Greek word that's translated here, maimed. Because this Greek word carries with it the picture of mutilated, right? So in other words, not only did Jesus heal those who were sick, not only did he restore an ability uh, to speak to those who were unable to speak for many years, not only did he give sight back to those who were blind, but among the healing work that Jesus was doing, mutilated, useless limbs were being restored to normal. You know what? I mean, he was making arms and legs grow back right before the people's eyes. How amazing would that be to see? You know, when, when Matthew says, so the multitude marveled, I tend to think it's a little bit of an understatement. I think he's downplaying it, right? And we read in verse 31 there at the end that this predominantly Gentile cry, a crowd glorified the God of Israel, right? They gave God glory while the religious community in Israel were refusing to glorify God for the ministry of Jesus. I mean, it's such a beautiful scene, seeing people giving glory to God, giving thanks uh, to the Lord for the ministry of Jesus to them, right? They didn't take it for granted. They saw it for what it, what it actually is, a gift of God to them. In my mind, I can see Jesus standing uh, near the Sea of Galilee there on the plains of Decapolis and all these people around him giving uh, God glory. You know, I can see Jesus standing there in a cool wind blowing in his heart, a wind that would blow the Gospels into the Gentile world, a wind that would touch all of us, a wind that would start at Pentecost and would blow all the way right here into Calvary Chapel, Truckee. And these Gentiles, they're praising and glorifying the God of Israel. Again, all the while, the religious leaders are trying to figure out how they might kill Jesus. You know, how they can silence him, how they can put an end to his ministry because of envy, because his popularity was just growing, growing, growing. They, they were hard at work trying to find out how they could stop it. Well, the story continues in verse 32. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they've now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And, you know, I just want to stop there just for a minute. Again, think about this. How many people do you think Jesus could heal in three days? I mean, 
If he was touching and healing people as fast as they could bring them to him, how many people do you think Jesus healed in three days? No wonder they all marveled and glorified the God of Israel. Well, Jesus said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now uh, continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. The New Living Translation, it renders this, this verse this way. Then Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for those people. For these people, I'm sorry. I feel sorry for these people. They've been with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they'll faint along the way. The idea is not that they've been with Jesus for three days and they haven't eaten for three days. You know, they haven't had anything to eat during that time. Instead, the idea is that Jesus has been ministering to these people for three days and now the people have nothing more to eat. They've depleted the food that they came with. But they have been with Jesus for three days. And they, none of them want to leave. And Jesus has concern for them. He doesn't want to send them away hungry. He doesn't want them to faint or to have their strength fail them you know, as they return home. Uh, they have to get home and Jesus understands it. And he also understands that they have a physical body that needs to be taken care of. And if you can, this morning, if you can uh, receive this word from the Lord, and I believe that this is a word from the Lord for some of us, one of us, maybe more of us. Uh, yeah, maybe it's just for one pe person. But I think the Lord would speak to us this morning. Jesus is never going to send you away with your gas tank so low that you're going to be in danger of running out of gas. You know what? Sometimes we feel like that's, you know, what he's doing, but no, he never does that, right? He's so aware of our needs. He's so compassionate. He's aware of all we are in need of. And in the same way, he's aware of our needs. That's the way he's aware of these people's needs. Is he's demonstrating it. And I'm telling you, he really is aware of your needs. You individually. He knows what you're in need of this morning. Before you even ask him, he knows what you're in need of. He cares about you. He cares about your needs, right? He is concerned about even the very smallest need that you may have. He's conscious of every detail, every little detail of your life. It's not just words that a pastor says. It's reality. This is the truth, right? And I strongly believe that's a word from the Lord for someone, maybe a few of us, maybe many of us here today right? You need to receive that word. If that's for you, you need to receive it and you need to hold on to it. You know, Jesus loves you and is caring for you in your current circumstances. Well, verse 33, then his disciples said to him, where can we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? You know, it's interesting to me when you read various commentators you know, regarding the feeding of the 5,000. 
and then this event, the feeding of the 4,000, uh, they'll tell you, you know, it's just one event. It's just a single event, right? It's not two. They'll tell you it's the same miracle, right? It's just one gospel writer is, is revealing the story from this angle while the other gospel writer, I mean, he's telling the story from a different point of view, but it's the same story. Now, the reason these commentators will do this is it is inconceivable to them that the disciples can be present when Jesus fed the 5,000 and then so quickly forget about it and then ask basically the same question. Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? I mean, they say there's no way the disciples are that stupid. <laughs> You know, I look, I look at that. I look at their reasoning and I think to myself, that's what you're basing your scholarship on? Are you kidding me? You know, I wonder if these scholars are even reading the same Bible that I, that I read, right? There are many differences between these two miracles. First, there were 5,000 men that Jesus fed in Matthew 14. There were 4,000 men here in Matthew 15. There were five loaves and two fish that he used to feed the 5,000 men in Matthew 14. Here there are seven loaves and a few little fish, Matthew 15. In Matthew 14, the multitude sat on the grass, implying that it was springtime. Here in Matthew 15, the language is such that leads you to believe that the multitudes were sitting on the dirt, the bare ground. The grass has been like uh, scorched by the summer heat. So this event is a approximately six, week, uh, six months later in the summertime. The feeding of the 5,000 took place there in Bethsaida, which is in the northern side of the Sea of Galilee, while the feeding of the 4,000 took place in Decapolis down on the southeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And after Jesus fed the 5,000 in, in Matthew 14, they wanted to make him their king. After feeding the 4,000 here in Matthew 15, there's no desire, there's no mention, there's no request of, of doing anything uh, like that. But the clincher for me, the clincher for me is Jesus. Flip over in your Bibles real quick to Matthew 16. I mean, if you've got a Bible like mine, you don't even have to flip over. It's on that page. Matthew 16, verses 9 and 10. Jesus says, do you not understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? I know I'm not very smart, but, um, you know, Jesus himself tells us it's two different events, right? I don't think that Jesus would forget or be confused about the things that he did for the people. So, I don't know. I'm not that smart, but in verse 33, we read, then Jesus, uh, no, sorry, then his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? And you know what? I'm just like, hello, guys. I mean, you forget who you're hanging out with. I mean, how long has it been since Jesus fed the 5,000 men with the five loaves and two fish? I mean, these guys have completely forgotten about that, 
right? It's like they just started following Jesus. It's like, you know, they're back at square one with Jesus. Like they've never witnessed Jesus do a single miracle. Like they don't have any history with Jesus at all, right? Honestly, I don't get these guys, except that they're just like me, you know what? Then I am so quick to forget what Jesus has done in my life when I'm confronted with a new problem. You know, when I'm confronted with a new problem, I am quick to think, oh no, what am I going to do? I'm not going to be able to survive this. You know, I think forgetfulness is just part of the human condition. You know, I can't tell you how many times in my life that I've run into the same situation which God has just brought me through and delivered me from maybe a dozen times before. And then I hit that situation again some months later, some weeks later. You know, it's like I've never been there. What am I going to do? Right? God can do such tremendous miracles in my life. And then just a few short weeks or months later, you know, I can forget about them completely. And I'm just being honest with you. You know, I know that's not true for any of you, but it's true for me. I know, you know, you guys don't understand anything I'm talking about. You know, of course I'm saying that in jest because the reality is you're just like me. Isn't that true? Yeah, we're so quick to forget, aren't we? So quick to forget. That's part of the lesson here in this portion of scripture. We're not to try like the scholars to explain away this passage. The the idea is when we face impossible circumstances in life, we're to ask ourselves, have we been here before with God? And do we have anything to worry about? And most of the time, of course, the answer is yes, we've been here before with God. And always the answer is no, we have nothing to worry about. You know, we have nothing to fear. God's got this. You know, I love what Corey Ten Boom says. It's one of my favorite sayings of a godly person. God's past faithfulness demands my present trust. You know, as I prayed for this study, prepared for this study, as I prayed about this study, and I was reminded how God had his people set up stones of remembrances, right? They erected uh, pillars to remind them, you know, of the great things that God did for them so they could tell their kids all about what God did for them. So when a kid, you know, their kid would come and ask, say, hey, dad, what's that pile of rocks over there all about? You know, oh, that's when God parted the Red Sea. You know what? The Egyptian army was bearing down on us. Things looked hopeless. We had no place to go. And God parted the Red Sea for us and we walked through on dry land. Incredible, isn't it? You know what? He did that for us. God does not want us to forget what it is that he's done in our lives and how foolish we are when we do forget it, right? When we forget his deliverance the provision that the Lord's made for us time and time again. You might be tempted to think, everybody knows that. You're not breaking any new ground here, Gary. You know what? I've sat under 20 different preachers in my Christian walk, and they all say the same thing. God doesn't want us to forget. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows anything about the Bible knows that. Well, that's great. That's great. It's good to know that. 
But what about the situation in your heart today that you're freaking out about? We often act like we have no history with God. Like he's never delivered us before. That he is suddenly smaller than our current circumstances. And this time, this time, this is the mess that's going to take us down. This is one of the reasons that we have repetition in the Bible for stories to be repeated time and time again in the Bible. Because we have a tendency to forget and we need to be reminded. Not theologically. You know, we have the theology down. We need, each one of us knows the point behind the story. At least most of us do, right? But we need to be reminded what to do what to do. What we're to do is we're to stop in that situation and we're to apply what we know of God in our lives. We're to let it take place in the middle of what we're facing. We're to allow it to have application in our life and to let it encourage us, right? Even the disciples fell prey to this, right? In the exact same way we do, but we're to stop and remember our history with the Lord. We rarely face things that the Lord hasn't already taken us through successfully in the past. We need to remember what God has done. He still is doing those things in our lives today. Right? We need to remember His great power to keep us and to deliver us the same power to keep us and deliver us that he used in the past. And we need to let that encourage us in today's situation as well. And we need to be reminded because you younger folk, you know, you guys are young. So I'm going to just tell you, when you get older, things get a lot worse. But this isn't a mind. This is a forgettery. This is, this is where things go to disappear. Right? God is so gracious. God is so patient. He is willing to teach us the same lesson the first time, the second time, the third time. And I'm so thankful for it because I'm a slow, slow learner. Tina, don't say amen. You know what? Despite my inability to learn quickly, He's my father when I get alone with him. And when I feel mad or sad about how stupid I've been, you know what? He's so loving and gracious to me because he sees me completed in Christ Jesus. The blood of Jesus is so powerful, right? He sees me justified. He sees me sanctified. He sees me glorified because he's the God who calls things that are not as though they are, right? He's not ashamed to be called my father. And he's not ashamed to call me his son. <laughs> he's not ashamed. He's not impatient. He is lovingly and patiently allowing me 
to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is willing to teach me the same lesson over and over and over again if it's necessary until that lesson becomes part of my heart and my life. Jesus is loving, caring, compassionate, gracious. He's a giving king who's a friend of mine. Well, verse 34, Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And again, I want to point out to you, Jesus does things decently and in order. And I also think it's worth noticing here, Jesus commands the people to sit down. When Jesus fed the 5,000, Luke and John, they record it, uh, as the disciples, Jesus tells the disciples to have the people sit down. You know, uh, you know, here Jesus commands the people to sit down. And again, 4,000 men, not including men and women. It could be as many as 12,000 people are in this, this uh, area. Jesus commands them to sit down. Maybe it's because, you know, this area is primarily Gentile that the disciples didn't want to mingle among them, right? But can't you just imagine Jesus now walking among them? He's healed them. He's taught them. He's blessed them. And they're glorifying the God of, of Israel. And Jesus just walks among them. He has them sit down. In verse 36, he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks. Jesus takes seven little pita breads and a few sardines. And he says grace. The disciples should have known what's, a, what's coming next. He took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples and the disciples gave to the multitude. Now again, the Greek tense of the verb is very interesting here because the Greek tense of the verb is that he continually gave to the disciples. He broke off a piece of bread. He broke off a piece. He broke, he broke, he broke. It just continued till they all were fed. Well, he broke and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitude. It's identical to the feeding of the 5,000 in terms of how the food was blessed, given to the disciples and distributed to the people. And what we want to remember, what we learned when we looked at the, the miracle of feeding the 5,000, right, is before we as Jesus' disciples can give to others, we must first receive. He has to give to us before we can distribute it, right? We can't give what we don't have. We need to spend time with the Lord in prayer and in his word. Meaningful time, meaningful time, communing with the Father and the Son, seeking the heart of God, asking him for vision and direction, asking him to use us in a way that will bring Glory to his name. We must spend time receiving from him before we have anything we can give to others that's of any value. If I just give out without receiving, you know, all I'm giving is Gary and who wants any of that? 
Verse 37, so they all ate and were filled and took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. And you recall the feeding of the 5,000, they took up 12 baskets full of fragments. Another one of the evidences that this is in fact a, a separate miracle from the feeding of the 5,000 is in the original language, the Greek word used for baskets in the two different accounts, they're different words, right? The Greek word that was used when Jesus fed the 5,000 in Jewish territory was the word for a basket that was used by the Jews. This basket that was used by the Jews, it was a basket that kind of came up to the top and made a narrow opening. The baskets that the Jews used didn't have a wide opening because they were concerned about ceremonial uh, cleanliness. They were concerned about uh, purity in their culture. So their baskets had small openings. But now that Jesus is in Gentile territory, the word used here is for a basket that the Gentiles used. And it was more of a flat basket that curled up on the ends. Um, you know, again, in recognition that this is in Gentile territory, this is a Gentile crowd, we see that this is a second and different miracle just from the language. In verse 38, now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And he sent away the multitudes, got into a boat and came to the region of Magdala. So when Jesus fed the 5,000 at the end of the day, the disciples gathered up 12 baskets full of fragments. I mean, they're all sitting around. Each disciple has his own basket full of uh, bread and fish. Each one has their own. And, and man, what a day that must have been. What a day that must have been. Now, here in this story, there are seven baskets that are gathered up. Again, it's a different word used for the basket. You want to point it out? These were large baskets compared to the baskets used to gather the fragments that Jesus, uh, you know, when he fed the 5,000. The baskets uh, spoken of here, uh, it's this large basket. And we're going to see this when we get to the, gospel, uh, to the book of Acts. This is the, the type of basket that Paul was let down over the wall when he fled Damascus. You know, it's a good-sized basket. But they gather up seven uh, baskets full of leftovers. The Lord's not wasteful. He doesn't waste things. Every little thing is of concern to the Lord. Every little thing in our lives, I just want to point out again. The number uh, seven is a number of completion in the Bible, right? And what's interesting to me here is that the last great public miracle that Jesus does in Galilee is a feast. He fed 5,000 men, not including women and children. The last great public miracle that Jesus does in Gentile territory is a feast. He feeds 4,000 men plus women and children. And in each case, the feast came at the end of the ministry in those areas. Jesus will not be seen teaching, preaching, healing anyone in the Galilee area, either Jew or Gentile anymore. His ministry in the Galilee area is now complete. You know, just 
back to sevens for a minute. We don't have time to develop this this morning, so I'm just going to leave it to you. Maybe put a bug in your bonnet to to, uh, think through. But we studied Matthew 13. We saw Jesus gave seven kingdom parables where he declared to us the going forth of the kingdom. Jesus dictates seven letters to seven different churches in um, the book of Revelation. And interestingly enough, each one of those letters corresponds to one of those seven kingdom parables. But Paul also wrote letters to seven churches. He wrote to Rome, Corinth. He wrote to the church of Galatia, the church in Ephesus, uh, Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonians. We have two letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. We have two letters that he wrote to the Thessalonian church. But Paul wrote to seven different churches. Jesus dictates letters to seven different churches. Jesus gives us seven different uh, kingdom parables, right? Do you think that's a coincidence? I don't really think so. But, um, you know, I think that there's a connection between each one of those kingdom parables corresponds with a kingdom, uh, uh, sorry, a letter that Jesus gave to the in book of Revelation and then uh, to the church that Paul wrote to. Uh, you know, I'm just going to leave that with you to think through. You know, you can meditate on it. We don't have time here again. But again, seven basketful of leftovers gathered up in Gentile te- uh, territory as Jesus completes his large public ministry in the uh, Galilee area, providing bread. Once before the Jews, once before the Gentiles, before the Gentiles, all because of one man who was delivered and sent back to his home. Who knows? Just a simple command. Go and tell your friends and family what God has done for you. Who knows what God God will do with our testimony? in regards to what God has done for us, the things that he's delivered us from, the things that he's brought us through. Who knows what God will do if we would just be upfront with people, if we would just tell them what God's done in our lives. Ah, No big deal. Just tell them what Jesus means to us. You know what? I'll tell you this. My life was a complete mess. You know, I was lonely very much felt uh, discarded, unloved, and uh, unwanted, you know? I was drinking and doing drugs like nobody's business. You know, I was angry. I was tired of living. I was ready to give up. You know, I had no idea how to turn things around. You know, I, the, the world was killing me. You know, I had no hope. You know, I was crushed under the weight of just living, you know? I was a slave to this lifestyle. I couldn't escape no matter how hard I tried. I hated this person and I hated that person. And literally, it's only by the God's, God's grace that I didn't kill somebody. I was chained by brokenness and emptiness. Yeah, you know what? I walked around outside. I hung out at the beach. I spent time with my friends, but I was in prison I was shackled. It was Jesus that set me free. 
It was Jesus that set me free, that forgave me of my sins, that cleansed me of my sins. It was Jesus that gave me a reason to live. He told me he loved me. That was, you can't imagine, to me. That was welcomed news, that somebody loved me. That's what I needed to hear. You know, he told me about heaven. He told me about the future. He told me how he longed to be with me. In heaven, he told me about his glory. He told me of this inheritance that's waiting for me, incorruptible, undefiled, and not able to fade away, reserved for me in heaven. He told me of streets of gold and walls of jewels. You know, he told me that one day he would come for me to take me away to where he is so that I would always be with him because he loved me, you know? And there will be no more sorrow there. There'll be no more suffering there. There'll be no more pain there. He told me one day, I'm gonna look him in, the, in his eyes. I'm gonna see him face to face and I'll be like him. And I will hear him say, well done, Gary. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And you know what? I'm telling you, Jesus has set me free. I'm alive. Not just, you know, existing, not just breathing with a heartbeat, you know. I'm alive. I'm living for him, which is what I was created for. It's what we were all created for, right? Who knows what God might do with one person who's been set free, and went back to tell his friends and family. Who knows how many people might be fed as a result of one person living out their faith, living what they believe, unafraid to tell others that Jesus is the only way. Who knows what God might do with that person? Who knows what doors he might open for that person? You know what? I never imagined 15 years as a missionary. You know, I've got to preach the gospel on three different continents in, in, you know, 20, 25 different countries. Me, a nobody. But I'm just willing to open my mouth. And I'm here to tell you, make no mistake about it, Right? The Lord has brought me here. The Lord has brought you here this morning to hear this. He wants to use you for his glory. He wants to use you for his glory. He wants to use you powerfully. He wants to use you mightily for his glory. Well, there's a third feast that Jesus set out at the end of his ministry. It was a feast, another feast that was set out for all the uh, those that are lost. And it's the Lord's Supper. It's, we commonly refer to it as communion. It's the elements of the bread and the cup, the bread unleavened, right? Uh, it's broken, symbolizing his body, broken for us, through which we receive healing, the Bible teaches. The cup, the juice, uh, symbolizing his blood, shed for us, shed on the cross for the gift, forgiveness of us our sins, for the give, forgiveness of the, the world's sins. Jesus's MO is always to leave people with strength for the way, 
to give men the opportunity to feed on the living bread. He's a living bread which came down from heaven. He said he, he didn't come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus invites everyone to come and partake of this feast, the Lord's Supper. But in order to come, one must believe that they've sinned against God. That Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for their sins. He was dead, buried, and resurrected the third day. And they must be willing to surrender their life to him. Turning from a lifestyle of sin and turning towards God. Willing to obey his every command. Jesus promises that all who come to him, those who come humbly to him, he will not refuse. And the Bible says that he'll give, uh, forgive them their sins. He'll cleanse them. He'll make them a new creation. He gives them a fresh start, a clean slate. And he fills them with the Holy Spirit and he empowers them to walk this Christian life with him. He gives them the power to say no to sin. All that and much more is just a prayer away. You know what? A person can just be saved, come into a right relationship with the Lord by just praying, God, forgive me of my sins. I'm a sinner. Come into my life. Cleanse me. Fill me. Give me the power to walk with you. I believe, Jesus, you died for my sins, that you were buried and resurrected the third day. You know what? If a person would humble themselves, they come to Jesus, surrendered, broken over their sin, seeking his forgiveness, you know what will happen? What will happen is you'll have a seat prepared for you at yet another feast. And this feast is the marriage supper of the Lamb prepared for us in heaven, prepared for his bride when he comes and he brings us to himself. And it's there that Jesus will sit us down and then he'll serve us and we'll be with him forever. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for, God, what you've done in my life. Lord, for those that know you here this morning, we're thankful for what you've done in our life. And Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray, God, that they would turn to you even now, that they would pray in their heart, forgive me, a sinner, have mercy on me. Pour out your grace upon me. I believe Christ died for my sins. I believe that he bore my penalty, that he was buried and resurrected the third day. You know, it's not in those words per se. What it is, is in the sincerity of your heart, just coming to him, confessing your sin. Uh, the word confess in the Greek is homo legeo. It means to, to agree, to say the same thing to agree with his assessment of you that you've fallen short. That's it. I agree, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need help. And when you pray that prayer, he'll come into your life, fill you with his Holy Spirit, and make you a new creation. He'll call you his own. He'll adopt you into his family. And you become part of his body, the bride of Christ. Lord, I just thank you. If there's anybody here that would pray that prayer, Lord, I just pray you move on their heart. Meet them, Lord. For those of us that are struggling, Lord, I pray you meet us and remind us, Lord, you've, you've taken us through this before. You've seen us through this. You've, 
showed your power and your ability to care for us through this in the past. Help us, Lord, to trust you today. Lord, we just love you. We give you praise. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.